Welcome to episode 20 of the Country Line Songwriter Series, where you'll hear from some of the most successful artists and songwriters working in Nashville today. Country music is all about storytelling, and this is where you'll discover the stories from the people themselves of how they managed to find their way into such a competitive industry and rise to the top, what motivates and inspires them, and what they've learned along the way. Eric Church grew up in Granite Falls, North Carolina, and began singing as a child. At 13, he started writing songs, later teaching himself to play the guitar. While attending college at Appalachian State, he formed a band called the Mountain Boys, who played around Western North Carolina. After graduating with a degree in marketing, he moved to Nashville to pursue a career in country music. It took him a year to get a publishing deal, after which he started having his songs recorded by other artists, an example being Terry Clark's version of The World Needs a Drink. Church also met producer Jay Joyce, who took an interest in him as a recording artist, and they began making demos. That led to him being signed by Capitol Records Nashville. Church's debut single, How About You, was released in early 2006, and it had reached the country top 20 by the time that Capitol issued his first album, Sinners Like Me, in July of 2006. The record was both a critical and commercial success, and he followed it up with Carolina in 2009, which swung for the contemporary country fences and hit them, scoring two top ten singles on the country charts with Love Your Love the Most and Hell on the Heart. In 2010, Church scored another gold single with Smoke a Little Smoke, and he won Top New Solo Vocalist at the Academy of Country Music Awards for that year. Chief was Church's major breakout album. Upon its July 2011 release, it debuted at number one on both the Billboard 200 and Top Country Albums charts. Soon afterwards, Drink In My Hand climbed to the top of the country charts, becoming Church's first ever number one single. Its popularity, though, was eclipsed in the summer of 2012 by Springsteen, a ballad that also reached number one on the country charts, but additionally crossed over onto the pop top 20. Two other singles were pulled from Chief, Creepin' and Like Jesus Does, and the LP won Album of the Year at the 2012 CMA Awards. Chief also earned him his first Grammy nominations for Best Country Album as well as Best Country Song and Solo Performance for Springsteen. Early in 2013, Church released the live album Caught in the Act. The album debuted at number 5 on the Billboard 200. Church spent the rest of 2013 working on his next album. The first taste of this work was the heavy rock of The Outsiders, a single that turned out to be the album's title track. The Outsiders arrived after considerable anticipation and acclaim in February of 2014 and became his second album to hit number one on both the country and overall charts. Church received four Grammy nominations that year and The Outsiders racked up five hit singles. The biggest were the ballads Give Me Back My Hometown and Talladega, both of which reached number one on Billboard's US country airplay chart. And while Like a Wrecking Ball remained on the charts, Church released a brand new full-length album. Mr. Misunderstood came as a surprise in the first week of November of 2015. Mr. Misunderstood debuted at number two on Billboard's Top 200 and Country Charts, eventually earning a gold certification and winning the CMA's Album of the Year in 2016. And it was around this time that Eric chatted with myself, Stuart Bamford. 
The Countryline Songwriters Series with Eric Church. I interviewed you around about this time two years ago, just before the release of the Outsiders album. And I remember you telling me at the time that, um, you know, you felt you made an album that really represented your growth as an artist. And that's what was most important to you. So for it to then become the biggest selling album of the year, that must have been so rewarding. The longevity of it is, is what I love, you know. If you told me I could have an album that sold a bazillion copies first week or an album that sold half that many over, you know, 200 weeks, yeah. I'd take the 200 weeks, you know, because I think that the longevity of an album, the consistency of an album, the albums that I respect and the albums that show a lot of their colors um, as you go through them. So the great thing about The Outsiders is, you know, it, it you know, for a hundred weeks or so, you know, it, it stayed um, near the top of the charts and, and, and continued to be one of those albums that just grew and grew and was just a you know a little engine that could. It just kept chugging. Yeah. Um, I think that that was, um, that was really rewarding um, when you go in and you, you bleed for something and you give all you got to make something artistically and it turns out that way. And with the release of your latest album, Mr. Misunderstood, I mean, is it true that this album was written and recorded in something like 20 days? It was. Yeah, it wasn't really planned. I mean, I, I, um, I got a four-year-old son and um he names all my guitars and there was one guitar i've had on the wall a while um, that he named uh, butterbean <laughs> <laughs> and one day um i was going to write or something just you know just to write and didn't really have any other plans didn't have any ideas and i was with my son that morning before i went and he mentioned the guitar so i took it to write and um wrote a great song that day you know decided to write the next day and the next day. and all of a sudden you know 18 20 days later i've got an album and 10 days after that, it's recorded, you know, and it was just <laughs> nothing that was planned. It was a shock to myself. It was a shock to everyone around me. And we started thinking, what do we do with this? We're off schedule here quite a bit from when we normally do this. And yeah. um, it, it was really my idea. I get so aggravated with the way we release albums with this, um, the, you know, the hype machine. When you, when you get to, um, it has to be all about, Critics, radio, labels, everybody has to get it. They have to hype this thing to death. And then finally the fans, you know, go get it. And I just think that's backwards. I think that the fans should be the first people to get it. And they should be the ones that tell everybody about it. So we decided, um, our fan club, our fans, just to to give it to them, snail mail style. We, We actually did vinyl, and we mailed it to them. And they got it one morning without any fanfare. We didn't tell anyone. Uh, including the label. <laughs> so it, all of a sudden, one morning, all these records are out there, and we just kind of let it let it go. We didn't have a plan. I didn't have, you know, this is where we're going next, and, you know, nothing. Just let the fans have it. And it's been interesting since then, you know, to kind of look at it and go, okay, here's where we're going with this album. <laughs> here's here's what we're going to do with it, you know. But it was, it was very refreshing and rewarding, you know, to have the fans get it first and, and be able to be the mouthpiece for the record and, and, and to really start this journey. You know, we'll see a couple years from now, um, we'll see what happened with it. In a strange way, from a marketing perspective, it was a, a masterstroke because, like, as a fan of your music, as soon as I heard that the fan club members had got it, I was, like, itching at the bit to get a hold of it myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, you know, it wasn't something that, um, I don't know that we thought through. <laughs> I don't know that we had step two. We we had step one. I don't know that we ever thought about step two. <laughs> we um, It was just one of those things, you know, where harken back to a day when people made a great album and they just put it out. <laughs> yeah. or they had a great song and they just put it out. I mean, you, you go back to the old Muscle Shoals days when they would record something and they would take it right down to the radio station that afternoon. Yeah. You know, I mean, it went right in. 
I just love the simplicity of that. I love the excitement of that. I think there's something to not sitting on an album and yeah. you know, having a thousand people hear it before the fans. So for me, it really was just out of excitement. Um, at this point in time in our career, it's my favorite album. Now, they're all, I will say this, I have a caveat. They're all your favorite album for a period of time. You know, it's just, every album you finish is like anything else, like a kid. It's your favorite at that point. But usually it's it's over time that the real, your real favorites will you know will kind of rise up and you keep going back to that one. So for me, uh, the interesting thing about this one is um, I feel this album more than I felt other ones. I think there's more soul in it. Sure. I think there's more uh, maturation in it. You can really see an artist that's, um, at a different point in his career than maybe an album from you know three, four, five years ago. So I love I love seeing that growth. Um, I enjoy seeing um, a little more constraint and restraint. Yeah. Um, I think with this album and, and seeing that movement um, is is interesting to me as a person who's a who's a fan of you know of, of artists and albums and, and seeing those things over over different pieces of work. The first time I heard the title track for The Outsiders, it, like that big noise when the chorus kicked in just blew my mind. And the same effect when I heard Chattanooga Lucy, because I, yeah. I can't remember the last time or if ever anybody's combined country and that sort of Nile Rodgers chic funk. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. But it fit the song, you know, and, and I just, there's this frenetic thing that's going on in that track. And, and the other craziest thing about this entire album, including that track, is it's so simple. Yeah. It's just us. It was just myself and the band. That's it. Because we were trying to keep it secret. You know, we didn't want anybody to know. We honestly didn't know what we were doing. We got in there and didn't have a plan. We didn't go in going, hey, we're making an album in the next 10 days. <laughs> we just went in and started playing. And, and once we started getting into it and realizing you know, what was there, it became very important that you know, we have to keep wraps on this. So it's just myself and the band. You know, And if somebody needed to do a part, my favorite story is I have a, a drummer who's played keyboards a lot on this album he's not really a keyboard player you know on this album we needed kind of that color and we just figured it out while we were in there wow. <laughs> you know it was just it kind of you know i was like it kind of feels like it needs this and feels like it needs that and we went over to the organ or the b3 or the, you know and we it's kind of this you know and i think that because it was that way you get a lot of stuff maybe played a certain way or that feels a certain way it's maybe not how certain people would have done it but it's it's musical. It, it, it was a very primal thing, you know, that, for that stuff to come out. And I think that's why, you know, it, it's got some, some parts and some pieces that um, that do sound kind of like that and unique. Oh, my, my, Chattanooga Lucy, a woman, what it is you do too. Forbidden fruity show is juicy, got me coming around, coming around. Yeah, oh, my, my, Chattanooga Lucy, I'll break me easy, I'll bend me bluesy. I'll hold on tight, I'll hold on loose to keep me coming around, coming around. The unique thing for our career is from the very beginning, it's probably because of the way this started for us. We didn't come out of the box by any stretch of the imagination with successful radio singles. It was quite a while, third record, you know, before we ever had what you would call a commercial radio hit. And um, I think because of that, people really they dove into the albums and, and, and the word of mouth early at a small number about sinners like me and about that album really gave us a reputation and allowed people to dig in a different way. They were able to dig deeper than maybe a lot of the other acts where they just come in from the standpoint of the big hit song or the commercial song. And I don't know that they go any deeper, you know? So for us, they, they went deep early 
and it's still it's still amazing to me to go play these shows and and you know you have you have all these people that you know you play an album cut you think nobody you think you're going to get no applause from you know ten years ago sounds yeah. like me and you know the place goes nuts you know it's just it blows my mind every time that happens. That translates obviously then into longevity because other artists I'm thinking of David Bowie is the first name that comes to head. These people could go out on stage and play for maybe two hours and maybe do very few hits, but the audience are still loving it. With people like Bowie, and I, you know, you, you look at another person I've seen in that way, like Bruce Springsteen. There's a lot of guys there that you know, you, you almost the more obscure, the better the show, the crazier the crowd goes. You know, yeah. because they're, they're songs they haven't seen or heard in a long time, and that's such a great relationship between an artist and the audience. Yeah. When that knowledge of the body of work. And, and that respect for what it is, it's just, um, I wouldn't trade, I mean, I, I wouldn't trade the world, you know, for, for where we've gotten to. It was hard getting here at times. It was a longer journey. Um, I watched other people uh, shoot up and down a lot faster than, you know, we felt like we can get a lot of traction and all these guys are passing you and girls, you know, having big hits. And in the moment, it feels hard, you know, to watch all that happen. Uh, you wonder if it's making a dent. And then, you know, to be where we are now and, and to have the freedom that we have creatively and, and to have the, the the audience that we have it's just it's very gratifying and, and it really you know it gives me a lot of uh creative energy for the future you know sure. there's a lot of people when they get a certain time in their career that i don't know maybe they get bored not me it's so great to see how the people are responding to you know not just stuff that we get played on the radio but as you said the other the other things a lot of artists they kind of blow up on radio and then they can't cut it live whereas I saw you at the Ulster Hall in Belfast. I think it was probably two years ago. And seriously, like, yeah. I remember you came out on stage and just literally grabbed the audience by the throat and dragged them with you for two hours. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> got to do that. I mean, especially in a situation, you know, for us, I mean, you know, what's interesting about, you know, last time through the UK and, and through Europe um, was, you know, we were leaving a, a situation here where, you know, I can rely in some regard of the success we've had. But that's not how it started here. It started here because we went out on stage and grabbed them and pulled people through for two hours. And I think the the great thing there was it was really the DNA of where we came from. It was almost like I, we loved it. I mean, I'm telling you, there was one night, Sweden or Norway or somewhere, and we might have had 100 people. And it was one of my favorite shows because I felt like I was pulling them through it. But at some point in time, in the middle of that show, we were all we were doing it together. We were pulling together. It was something for me to go to a place that not even an English speaking primary country and to be able to take music and um, to be able to get there together by the end of the show. It's just the greatest thing. And you know, the band and I have all, you know, we, we've talked about that show many, many times. The Country Line Songwriters Series with Eric Church. More episodes from this series are available on the Country Line app and website or just search for the Country Line Songwriters Series wherever you normally get your podcasts.